after the two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more he visited visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. First of all, let me thank you on behalf of Ozark Christian College as one of uh, the faculty members and vice presidents there. uh, Your church supports our school, and we thank you for the support you've given us uh, financially and through sending students. We actually graduated uh, two students from this congregation yesterday, Ashlyn and Austin, Um, graduated uh, among 155 students yesterday, graduated from Ozark Christian College. So we thank you for being partnering with us, and we thank you for those kids that you send us, um, because really, on this Mother's Day, all of you have mothered those kids that have gone to Ozark or gone to Pitt State or gone to other schools, and so thank you for being part of that, and thank you for being part of a legacy who continues to pray for kids. I was praying for those little babies and praying, may they someday come to Ozark Christian College. It's never too early to start praying for those things, but most of all, to pray that they would be raised in the fear and the instruction of the Lord. So thank you on behalf of Ozark Christian College. I'd like to begin this morning by asking you a question. I am a former children's minister. I was in children's ministry for 15 years, so we're going to have a little audience participation this morning. I'd like to ask you this question. What is the most beautiful thing you have ever seen? Not on TV, not through reality glasses or something like that, or photos. But what is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen with your eyes? And if your sight is impaired, maybe, what's the most beautiful thing you've ever experienced in your life? I now like for you to turn to someone and tell them what you just thought of, right? So go ahead, talk to your neighbor, talk to your spouse, talk to your family. What's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? Now, how many of you just said a place, like the Grand Canyon or an ocean? Raise your hand if you said a place. You had a place in mind, all right? How many of you said a person, right? How many of you, husbands just said your wife on their wedding day? Ah, oh, good, good. I was trying to help you out, or, or the birth of your child. It is Mother's Day, okay? I'm trying, yeah, good, good. Trying to help you out. If you didn't, you might want to whisper that now, all right? Um, oh, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, um, now what I would like to ask you is, What do you believe because of what you've gotten to see? What do you believe because of what you've gotten to see? Our belief is often held in 
what we've gotten to see or what we've gotten to experience in our life. And the question I want us to wrestle with this morning is, what do you do when you can't see? When, what do you believe in when you can't see something? One of my favorite sites is my youngest brother, Kyle. Um, I was 14 years old. My brother, Doug, who's also a professor at Ozark Christian College, um, is two years younger than me. He was 12. And my mom and dad sat us down one day on a Saturday afternoon, and they said, they started talking about an addition, an addition, an addition. And I'm thinking, bigger bedroom. No, that's not what they meant. (laughs) My mom was six weeks pregnant. And they couldn't keep it from us any longer, so they told us that she was pregnant. And I started laughing hysterically because I'm 14 and my brother is 12, and my parents don't do that. (laughs) And, uh, well, about six and a half, seven months later, out comes Kyle. And I cannot imagine our life without my youngest brother, Kyle. Um, He's 14 years younger than me, which meant that um, I grew up in central Illinois, and I came to Ozark Christian College When I went off to college, he had not yet started kindergarten. And I traveled uh, in the summer. I traveled with uh, Impact Brass and Singers. So some of you are thinking, I know that woman. I was in Impact Brass and Singers years and years ago. Um, And camp teams. I I never was home during the summer. I was rarely home during college. And then I moved uh, to Ohio for ministry. I didn't get to spend a whole lot of time with Kyle when he was growing up. So any time I get to spend with that kid is pretty special to me. Any time I get to lay my eyes on him. Is pretty great. It was about three and a half years ago when Kyle called me on a, um, in the evening. And uh, like any young man, he's, he was about 26 at the time, uh, he doesn't call his mom nearly enough, and he definitely doesn't call his big sister nearly enough. So when he calls, I know something's up. Something is important, and it, and it was. Um, he began right away, he said, I've got bad news. And so my brain is spinning, okay, what's going on? He was living in the north side of L.A. in California. Um, He still lives there. And he called to tell me um, something had gone wrong. And and I'm thinking, did he lose his job? I don't think he had a girlfriend. Maybe he had one and they broke up. I I, I don't know what's, what's happening. And then he said to me, well, he actually couldn't tell me what was wrong. This is how he worded it. I have what Lance Armstrong had. Lance Armstrong, the Tour de France, cyclist, winner, cheater. Um, and I'm, I'm like, well, I, you know, Kyle doesn't ride a bike, so it has nothing to do with that. And my brain went backwards, and I realized what he's trying to tell me in that moment is he's trying to tell me he has cancer. And this 26-year-old kid who lives in California, I was living in Tennessee at the time, he is all alone. He is a single guy. Uh, working in a church on the north side of L.A., and all I wanted to do in that moment was to see him, to get my eyes on that little guy who's not so little anymore. What do you do when you can't see? I understand a little bit of what this father must have felt in this text that was read for us already this morning. Um, Let's begin. John chapter 4, starting in verse 46. Jesus has returned to the city of Cana. And there, the second part of verse 46 tells us, there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Right? So Cana and Capernaum, 15 miles apart. Right? Which doesn't seem like a big deal to us nowadays, but back then, that would have been quite a distance to walk between the two. 
And when this man, according to verse 47, heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Can you imagine what this dad must be feeling? He's scared, he's desperate, he's searching, he's looking for anyone, anything to believe in. You all know what that feels like. Even if you aren't a parent. I, I'm not a parent. I, I, have, I was in children's ministry for a long, 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 long time. I have lots of spiritual kids. I've got these two little brothers. Um, but I know what this feels like because I've had a brother who was sick. Um, those of you in this room who are parents, you know what it's like when your kid is sick, even if it's something minor. For those of you who aren't parents, you know what it's like when a friend, a colleague, a, a parent is sick. You are searching, you are looking for anything, anyone to believe in. We know what it's like to love someone, to feel helpless, to do anything about it. We're looking for something we can see with our eyes so that we can believe. The Greek word for believe, I'm a Bible college professor. We're supposed to throw in Greek, you know, that way we earn our our money. The the Greek word is pistuo, and that word, pistuo, the word for believe, shows up over 90 times in John's gospel. John writes a gospel about belief. He's trying to encourage those who are going to read this, hear this, even us today, about belief. Belief is woven through this gospel. It begins in John chapter 1, verse 12. To those who believed, pistuo, in his name, he gave the right to become children of God on this Mother's Day. John six thirty-five. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. John eleven twenty-five. Jesus says to Martha, prior to him raising Lazarus from the dead, he says this. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And perhaps the most familiar of all, John 3.16. You can say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If John's gospel is all about belief, then why is this text important to us? Because this text isn't just about belief. This text is about limits that we sometimes put on our belief and overcoming those limits. First of all, we need to recognize something that's happening in this text that we may not recognize right away. And that is that this man is not just anyone. The text tells us he's a royal official, or depending on your translation, it might say he's a nobleman. We're not exactly sure of his position, but he would have had a position within the Roman government. He would have been responsible for, to the king, King Herod Antipas, in the region of Galilee, who would have been responsible to Caesar, who was over in Rome. This guy is a Roman official. And regardless of his exact position, this guy would have had two things. He would have had power, and he would have had money. And neither of those things are going to help him right now, are they? All the power in the world and all the money in the world can't bring his son to help. And so he seeks the one person who can, who can bring back health and well-being to his son. We don't know why he knows about Jesus. I mean, Jesus would have started to become known in that region. Maybe, maybe he was at the wedding in Cana. Um, This text reminds us that 
that were back in the city where Jesus performed his very first miracle, turning water into wine, where Jesus obeys his mother. All right, there's your little Mother's Day sermon. Obey your mother, right there, all right? Jesus even obeys his mother by turning water into wine in Cana. Maybe this royal official was at that wedding. Maybe he's just heard about Jesus. Uh, Jesus, his home base kind of becomes Capernaum, where this man is from. Regardless of how he knows, this royal official overcomes the barrier between the Romans and the Jews and seeks out this Jewish teacher because he's the one that can help him. Because according to the end of verse 47, it says this. He was close to death. The son is close to death. And unable to restore his son's health, he travels 15 miles from Capernaum to Cana to seek out the one who can heal. And John reminds us that Jesus has left Cana and had traveled from Galilee south to Jerusalem. It's about 70 miles. Jesus had spent some time there. And then before Jesus returns to Galilee, he goes from Judea up through this region that we call Samaria. Another group of people who were, well, enemies of the Jews. And earlier in John chapter 4, John records for us something that happens in that region of Samaria, a text that's really, really probably familiar to most of you in this room. There's a woman, a Samaritan woman. She's sitting at a well in the heat of the day. It's about noon, and Jesus sits there too, and he asks the woman for water, and they have this conversation. And in that conversation, this woman comes to believe in Jesus because of his word. And then she travels back to the city, and she tells everyone about this man she's met, and she brings them to Jesus. And so by the power of Jesus' word, a bunch of Samaritans begin to believe. In verse 42 of, chapter, uh, of John chapter 4, it says this, Then they, the Samaritans, said to this woman from the well, We no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard it for ourselves, and we know that this man, Jesus, really is the Savior of the world. So in Samaria, people believe Jesus just at his word. But in this section of John chapter 4, Jesus has returned to Galilee. He grew up nearby in Nazareth. His home base is Capernaum. He's done a miracle in Cana. And when this man comes to him and says, come with me to heal my son, here is Jesus' response. Verse 48, it seems like he's wondering aloud a bit about the people of Galilee. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. You see, unlike the people of Samaria, who believe Jesus just at his word, it seems like the people in Galilee need something more. Do we believe only because of what we can see? Or do we believe, I'm sorry, or do we believe even when we can't see, when it's just Jesus' word? But the father persists. He pleads with him because He's not in need of a sign in order to believe. He needs, he needs a miracle. He needs a healing. He needs Jesus to come with him. And so he pleads with him further. Verse 49, the royal official says, Sir, come down before my child dies. He believes, but notice he's got two limits, two expectations on this belief. First of all, he believes that Jesus has to be present. You come with me. So that you can see this boy. You can see how sick he is. You, you have to see him. First limit. Second limit. Before he dies. He believes Jesus can heal. But
but it has to happen before death. He believes in Jesus, he just doesn't know how powerful Jesus really is. And so Jesus answers this man's request with a command. Go. Go, Jesus replies. And then he promises, your son will live. That's it. No other instruction. Not, I'm not going to come with you because I can heal from afar. Not, you know, nothing else. He just says, go and your son will live. And before seeing the sign or the wonder, the official believes. And his belief is demonstrated through his actions. The man took Jesus at his word and he departed. He turns towards home. Fifteen miles he will walk. Back to Capernaum. Can you imagine every step? Would you have left? Would you have looked back? Would you have, said, would you have gone back and said, no, 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 I'm sorry, Jesus. I need you to come with me. I, I, I need you to see my boy. I need you to see what this is. I, I need you with me on the road. I need to hear your voice. No, he goes alone, it seems. And this man who's removed politics of the Jewish and, and Romans and now has removed the limits to his belief with no proof, travels home. And according to verse 52 and following, it wasn't until the next day, the very next day, he hears from his servants. They greet him along the road with the good news that his son is not just alive, but that he is well. And then he hears, when did the healing happen? Well, the very time that, that, that Jesus spoke the words, your son will live. This man believes, and then he gets to see. His family back home, the mom, the servants, everyone who's left in Capernaum, well, they got to see the miracle first. They didn't know where it came from. And then the text tells us they believed. When this man returns with the news of the power of Jesus that saved his son, the entire household believes. They have seen and they have believed. Some of you in this room have been blessed to have seen a miracle to see someone healed, to um, get that money that you needed just at the right time or that job that came through right when you needed it, or maybe a healing from addiction. Some of you in this room have experienced that yourself or you experienced it through the people that you love. You believe because your eyes have seen. Hopefully you know where that miracle came from. I got to see a miracle with my very own eyes. Um, I got to see my brother Kyle healed. It just worked out that I was able to be with Kyle for two weeks while he sat in a chemo bed in a hospital and allowed this chemo drug to be dripped into his veins, and that chemo drug killed Kyle's cancer. But this drug wasn't just any drug. This drug is called cisplatin. Back in the 1950s and 60s, the kind of cancer that my brother had was an automatic death sentence. People would die from the kind of cancer that Kyle had. But there was a researcher. Here is her picture. Her name is Loretta Van Camp. Loretta is, uh, was a, a researcher, a microbiologist at Michigan State University. She was actually working on the cure for the common cold. And she discovered that these something made something else do something. I don't know. It's all medical. None of us really understand. But what she discovered was this turned into this drug called cisplatin. And it kills 
the kind of cancer cells that were in my brother's body. Um, and so this cancer that used to, well, it used to devastate families, it becomes curable. And so we are thankful for Loretta Van Camp. But you see, this isn't just any woman. <laughs> She's my grandmother's sister. My great aunt cured my brother, her nephew. She didn't know. She, she had passed away before, before this happened. <laughs> I believe in miracles. My mom actually <laughs> babysat for her Aunt Rita, babysat her cousins, while Rita spent hours and hours and hours in a lab discovering a drug that would cure my brother. I believe because I've gotten to see. But as I mentioned earlier, the Greek word translated as believe in this passage is found over 90 times in John's gospel. And one of the final places that the word believe appears is in a story when Jesus appears to the disciples. The first time Jesus appears to the disciples, there are only 10 there. Judas is gone and Thomas is missing. And Jesus appears and then Thomas finds out and Thomas earns a nickname, doesn't he? We call him doubting thomas poor guy for one thing we call him doubting thomas for the rest of history um he's probably gonna have something to say about that when we get to heaven but poor doubting thomas he doesn't believe and so jesus makes him wait eight days jesus doesn't appear to the disciples again until eight days later and then thomas gets to see jesus with his own eyes and touch his wounds with his hands and when he does see jesus he exclaims my lord and my god he knows right away but then Jesus says to him, you believe, Thomas, because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Gloria Martin believes even though she doesn't get to see. I met Gloria when I was a children's minister in a church in, in Illinois. She had two little boys, Shobi and Silas. And Silas, he was special since like the time of his birth. Some kids... You know, from like when they were toddlers, they just seemed to exude the Holy Spirit and Jesus and love and joy. He was one of those kids. I remember one day he had something to tell me. So I, you know, squatted down in front of him and he grabs my face with his hands and he has something important to tell me. I don't remember what it was, but he was just a special little kid. After I'd moved away, um, I found out that Silas had a brain tumor and his mom had taking him to the best doctors, and they thought they had it beat, and then it came back. And then they thought they had it beat, and it came back. His mom prayed for him day and night, and she gathered prayer warriors. Some of, the, some of the best prayer warriors I know in my life prayed over Silas for years and years and years. But at the age of 16, a couple of Christmases ago, he passed away. And I was talking to Gloria about his passing and and she said this, Teresa, <laughs> I know, I believe that Silas is healed. I believe he is healed. I just can't see him yet. But I will someday. Blessed are you who believe without having gotten to see. And usually at this time on Sunday mornings, um, I'm with a group of kids um, raging in ages from kindergarten to fifth grade. I am the kids' worship leader at Carterville Christian Church in, just outside of Joplin. And one of the things I love to do when teaching kids songs is helping them understand the words. So we use motions, and sometimes we use sign language. 
And the sign, one of the signs I've taught them is the sign for belief or believe. This is the sign for believe. It's actually the combination of two signs, the sign for think and the sign for marry. You see, belief isn't just what you know. It's what you marry your actions to. It's what you marry your heart to. That's what belief is. It's not just what you know. We know a lot of things. But what do we believe? And so this morning, let me encourage you. Blessed are you who believe, and your belief has been strengthened by a miracle. Share your story. Tell others so that it might encourage them as well. And blessed are you who believe and haven't seen especially for those of you who are waiting, those of you who have to wait until the other side of the veil that separates this life from the next one, may your belief and your hope and your trust encourage those who also wait. Regardless of your current situations or situations that will come up in the future, let me encourage you, remove the barriers, remove the limits that you put on your belief. Believe Jesus as his, at his word. Believe Jesus at his word. Because someday we will get to see with our own eyes all that he has promised for us. The end of John's gospel, he uses these words to, to end. He says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you, me, everyone in this room, that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. We thank you for the example of this man. We thank you for John, who wrote this story down for us, so that we could know that you can be trusted at your word, that we can believe you because of what our eyes get to see, and we get to believe you because sometimes our eyes don't get to see. Help us to be people who believe in you and who don't just know, but act out of that belief. God, we thank you for those you've surrounded us with today. We thank you for our moms. We thank you for others who have encouraged us in this life that we walk. May we encourage one another today through the knowledge of your son and the belief in his name that someday we will see you and all of the truth that you have for us. It's in your son's name I pray.